Aunt Betty was from Alabama. And Aunt Betty asked me this line of questions. And your mama says you're in politics. I said, yes, ma'am. She says, oh, well, what political party are you affiliated with? And I said, I'm a Democrat. And she said, oh, a Democrat. What happened there? (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. Firsthand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there. And plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive towards your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Hey everybody, Jason Patria here, and you are listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast, which is the podcast for people just like you who are looking to turn up the volume, show your value, and lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. Now, I am proud of my Filipino-Hawaiian heritage, and in celebration of Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month, I am excited to be partnering with the Center for Asian Pacific American Women to bring you the voices of amazing AAPI leaders of their industries and organizations. So what that means is each Tuesday in March, I am featuring another amazing leader who just happens to be of AAPI descent. And of course, you can visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com backslash AAPI for our favorite episodes featuring AAPI leaders from seasons one and seasons two. And with Heritage Month in mind, we We are incredibly excited to have a very special guest on today's show. I will be talking with U.S. Congressman Mark Takano. But before we get to the congressman, I want to talk a little bit about authenticity. You know, that is the number one thing that people talk to me about and share with me, and clearly our podcast guests talk about on this show. Authenticity is core to your brand. Now, I'm always surprised when people are trying to be something that they are not. Now, you've heard me talk about working with the fabulous people over at Bravo, one of those amazing entertainment cable channels that is on your dial. Now, I remember one of the first strategy offsites I facilitated for their leadership team way back in 2005. Now, one of the things back then that their leadership team was grappling with was not being defined by the show that brought them into the spotlight. So if you think way back then, almost 20 years ago, it was Queer Eye for the Straight Guy that put Bravo on the map. Now, I was working with Bravo really at their infancy of being a new network and having a new set of shows, like those big hits, Project Runway and Top Chef that you'll remember. And I will never forget talking to their then chief marketing officer, the amazing Jason 
McClurman. We were on the second day of this offsite, and we were like way out in kind of like the woods, about an hour outside of New York City. And he came running into breakfast, and he grabbed me, and he said, "Jason, I was on the treadmill this morning, and I was just racking my brain for an hour about how we could not be defined as the Queer Eye Network because that's what they were trying to not be. They didn't want to be the Queer Eye Network." And he said to me, Jason, it hit me. We are the Queer Eye Network. We don't want to be defined by that show or that title, but the reality is our brand DNA is really all about the Fab Five from that show, Queer Eye. He said to me, you know what? We are the best in food. We're the best in fashion. We're the best in pop culture. Those are actually our brand pillars. We are the Fab Five. Ultimately, sometimes the thing that you're running away from really is what you need to be running towards, turning up the volume on, and supersizing. Sometimes that thing that you do or that thing that you really are that you're trying not to be truly is the secret sauce that defines your brand. That's what authenticity really is. It's being true to yourself. And that's why I am so excited for our special guest today. You know, oftentimes we have titans of business and big media moguls and folks that are driving amazing tech and television and film brands. But today I'm going to talk to a different kind of leader, a publicly elected official who is driving change in the United States and the world. Mark Takano represents the people of Riverside, Moreno Valley, Hurupa Valley, and Paris, California in the United States House of Representatives. He serves as chairman of the House Committee on Veterans Affairs and as a member of the Education and Labor Committee. Now, for over 25 years, Mark has worked to improve the lives of Riverside County residents, both as an elected official and as a teacher at Rialto High School. Now, back in 1990, Mark was elected to the Riverside Community College District's Board of Trustees and was elected as board president in 1991. In winning his election in 2012, Mark became the first openly gay person of color to be elected to the U.S. Congress. I'll be back in just a few moments with my very special interview with Congressman Mark Takano. Hey everybody, it's Jason Patria, host of the Lead With Your Brand podcast, and I am here with one of my fabulous friends. And hello, I'm Sue Ann Hong, President and CEO for the Center for Asian Pacific American Women, or as we say, Kapaw. We're thrilled to be partnering with Jason to celebrate Asian Pacific Islander American Heritage Month. That's right. Each week in May, we're showcasing an amazing career story from a person of Asian Pacific Islander descent, and I couldn't be happier to share our platform with Kapa. So join us every Tuesday in May for a new episode of the Lead With Your Brand podcast featuring a fabulous API guest. So look for us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and check out leadwithyourbrand.com backslash AAPI to see all of our fabulous interviews from the last season. See you there and happy Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And we're back, and I am super excited for our fabulous guest today. It is U.S. Congressman Mark Takano. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing fabulous like you. 
Ah, of course, you're always doing fabulous. So tell me, what exciting things are you working on in Washington, D.C. now? Well, I'm chairman of the Veterans Affairs Committee, and I'm also a senior member of the Education and Labor Committee. Those are my two big policy spaces. And as chairman, we just marked up a bunch of bills that we're trying to get done before Memorial Day, our big Memorial Day package for our America's veterans. And we did a lot of bills related to toxic exposure. You know that a lot of our Iraq and Afghanistan veterans served in areas where they stood up bases of tens of thousands of of service members and were exposed to burn pits. And the smoke that they dumped everything that is vile you can think of and poured jet fuel on it and lit it up. And we have a lot of veterans today saying that they've got bizarre cancers or bizarre health ailments. So we did a lot of work related to not only burn pits, but a range of toxic exposures that we are looking to address in a big comprehensive bill. So there's a lot of veterans legislation that uh, we've been working on. We've been working on making the VA a better place for women veterans. You know that more and more women are serving in the military. They keep increasing their share of the numbers of service members. And that means more women veterans. You know what? The Veterans Administration, the Veterans Health Administration has for decades, ever since the beginning, been set up to cater to men. Yeah. And we need to make VA healthcare, VA medical centers, welcoming places for women so that women don't feel uncomfortable coming to get the treatment they very often, well, they need just as much as the men. Now, as far as education, I'm working on how to make college more affordable. We're looking at possible forms of, of debt relief. I'm also looking at the labor side. You know, I was very disappointed we didn't get the $15 minimum wage, but that's mm-hmm. part of the responsibility of the Education and Labor Committee. Uh, we're also looking you know, at workplace safety after the pandemic is starting to recede. One of the reasons why people, I think, are hesitant to go back to work is going back to work safe. Yeah, absolutely. Did work on the American Rescue Plan, the one point you know trillion dollar rescue plan. I'm working on a, on the American Jobs Plan and the American Families Plan. Two big pieces of legislation more that we're looking at uh, doing to help the American people get through this pandemic. And so, and then that's not to mention, you know, helping to save our democracy and preserve our democracy, preserving voting rights. The Equality Act, which is about making sure that no matter what zip code you live in this country, that you're not discriminated against because of who you are, whether you're LGBTQ or, or, you know, just that does not become a reason why you don't have opportunity in this country. Needless to say, it sounds like you're busy in Washington. So, Congressman Takano, tell me, when you meet someone for the first time and they don't know who you are, how do you introduce yourself and what you do? If someone doesn't know me, we'll just start with a name basis. And then, obviously, I'm prepared for the question. And, and what do you do? I said, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a congressman. I'll just be straightforward. I won't try to hide it. And that usually elicits a really a kind of, a, you know, the eyebrows get bigger. And it's yeah. most of the time... Even if they're a person that normally 
dislikes politicians or whatever, usually the reaction is positive. And then the next answer, the next question might be, well, what party are you? And then that, that's where it could go. <laughs> like, <you know. laughs> I, I mean, I remember when I was running for Congress and I met one of the, uh, my, my brother is, is in North Carolina and he married a North Carolina a woman and they're in the South. And, and this is just a, like six months before, actually a month before I declared. And Aunt Betty was from Alabama. And Aunt Betty asked me this line of questions and what do you just, you know, your mama says you're in politics. And, um, <laughs> and I said, yes, I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, she says, oh, well, what political party are you affiliated with? And I said, I'm a Democrat. And she said, oh, a Democrat. What happened there? Mark, tell me a little bit about your brand. As a leader and a congressman, give me a couple of words that you would use to describe yourself. I would say progressive. Mm. A voice for the marginalized. Mm. So progressive and a voice for the marginalized. You know, so how do you show up in Congress every single day really to be progressive and be the voice of the marginalized? What does that look like and how do you communicate that to others? Well, what that looks like is the policy projects or the policy choices I try to make, like, or the policy projects that I'm involved in. I believe it's it's the job of the federal government to put guardrails in these programs and to protect them. Talk to me a little bit about your your parents and how that shaped you as as a young man and now as a politician. My mother, my father, all my grandparents were interned in internment camps during World War II. They were all either born here or Japanese immigrants. They were Japanese who were Japanese Americans were born here, and so. You know, they were uprooted from their homes. They were able to get rid of their bullet. You know, only bring what they could carry. They either had to put stuff in a storage, sell things at a fire sale price. They were interned, imprisoned in internment camps without trial just because of who they were. They, they were, they were people that were of Japanese descent. Mass blame and mass guilt was a sign of them, which is very contrary to our constitution and to the values of our country. There were no representatives in Congress who would really stand up for them because there was nobody of Asian descent who was serving in the Congress at the time. There was like one governor of Colorado, governor, I think his last name was Carr, Ralph Carr, who did speak up and then he was summarily defeated (laughs) for re-election. So it's like, uh, you know, just you can imagine that the times had turned precipitously against people of Japanese descent during World War II. We can understand it. But what there was was a failure of political leadership. And it was also a failure of the judiciary. The judiciary will, will, will defer to what the executive wants during war. They're not going to substitute for judgment. But there was, there was a, a real failure of political leadership in the country. That's always stuck out of my mind as a, as a part of my own family history and my own personal history. Uh, something that I have to be attentive to and responsible for. Mm. Uh, and that's, that, that is how I think, or either that or reject a part of my, my, who I am. Yeah. Right? I mean, if I, if I, if I don't vote with my conscience, I, I, I reject, I, I'm, I'm turning away from who I am. 
Yeah. And that's a, that's a compromise of oneself that I think is too, is too great a price to pay to be in government. So Mark, when you were a little kid, what did you want to be? What inspired you that led you to where you are today? It was more a calling that I sort of started to hear as a, mm-hmm. as like a 12 or 13 year old. And when I say calling, it's not like some voice on high said, this is what you're going to be. It's just I listened, I started to pay attention to and listen to what interested in me and what got me curious and what kind of stoked my imagination. That's what I think a calling is. And yeah. my sixth grade teacher was more like a, a 1960s, I wouldn't say radical, because discipline-wise, he wasn't permissive, but he, he had a beard, but he was very passionately against the Vietnam War. My parents were Republicans, but not like it wasn't like a clash between my parents and this teacher. But this teacher really cared about things like politics. And I was starting to get an awareness of that time. I was very interested in it. And then that set me up for my summer after sixth grade, which is when the House Committee on Judiciary was holding its impeachment hearings. And I remembered watching being glued to the television. I was a strange, I think, 12-year-old that was like <laughs> watching gavel-to-gavel coverage on PBS on a UHF TV station, uh, Channel 24, uh, which was on the VHS or, or UHF, whatever it was. I mean, that was pre-cable. My grandfather had a black and white television. I sat and watched it in his living room. And that's when I first began to think about maybe being a member of Congress after watching Congresswoman Barbara Jordan, who was the African American mm. member from Houston, Texas. She was one of the few women African Americans in Congress. And she just blew me away when he, she gave her opening statement about why she believed so passionately in the constitution, how ironic it was for an African American woman to be where she was to mm-hmm. sit as what she called she called it an inquisitor. I am an inquisitor. And she was holding accountable the most powerful man in the United States, the president of the United States, Richard Nixon, who had violated law. And I said, wow, I want to be like her. <laughs> and I was like, she's, she's a badass. So I began to think about, I planned out my future. I was going to go to an Ivy League school and I was going to go to law school. I originally wasn't going to be a teacher. I originally thought of myself as a lawyer. So Mark, you know, one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you is because you've had this amazing career. You really started out in the education space, and then you became a publicly elected official. So take me back when you think through your career, what have been some of the biggest career breakthrough moments that got you to where you are today? I would say it was after I finished college, after I finished Harvard, I got in Harvard, I was tired I was kind of exhausted and burned out of school. I said, I need to take a couple of years before I go off to law school. But I needed money. I hadn't really planned what I was doing after college. And I never really had to be full-on responsible for myself. So I started to live and work in the Boston area as a substitute teacher for the public schools. And I noticed the big difference from wealthy suburban schools to the inner city schools of Boston way back then, there were big disparities. In fact, in Boston, I would, I walked through a metal detector in a school setting for the very first time. 
And it got me thinking about the real disparities in the inequalities in our country. And I also, I related them back to educational opportunity, the disparate educational opportunity. And I wanted to, it started to make me think, how do you, how do you fix public education or how do you, how do you make public education available to us? That essentially kind of was, what did you call it? At the beginning, you call it a career, a career breakthrough, a career breakthrough. I would say it was a reconsideration, but it wasn't a complete one. I kind of thought, well, I'll do this for a few years, and then maybe I will go to law school uh, because teacher is just not necessarily the on-ramp into politics, not a complete one, but I, I, I would have to get more connected through a, a legal career. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I knew that, that trying to deal with public education – was not something that I could do by going to law school right away. And so my curiosity got piqued by, so I followed my curiosity basically. And then tell me, how did you move from being an educator to then running for Congress? What, what, was, the, uh, what was the moment that you knew was right? Well, understand that the interest in running for office preceded becoming a teacher. So it was always there. I always yeah. had it, it was part of the plan. And so as I began to recalculate my plan, I, I, I became a teacher in my late 20s. I ran for local office. And this is like in 1989. I, I won my first local office, which was in education. I became, in California, we elect the trustees of the community college districts. And I became a mm-hmm. trustee of the Riverside Community College District. And that was my first job. But it also occurred in 1990 when that was also a reapportionment year where they redistricted everything. And I really seriously was not thinking about running for Congress, but I guess what I'm saying, Jason, is that my first elected job was like as, and it was also in the education space, it was in the higher education. So I was a teacher concurrently with having a part-time local elected office. Mm. So you can kind of see how I was keeping a foot into, in, into both, in both spaces. Worlds. Yeah, both worlds, right? So the political and education. And here I was like getting the day-to-day practical experience of a K-12 teacher and also making policy uh, in higher education at the community college level. And so I was, I started there, but you know, within a year, you know, when you, when you run in a time when they reapportioning the legislative seats, the congressional seats, I'm a new kind of upstart that kind of won my first office in a surprising way. People didn't expect, who is this new, who's this guy? This is like 29, 30 years old. Who is this person? And so I, I was um, encouraged uh, to, to step forward. And I, I was, I, I woke up in a night sweat thinking, what am I doing? <laughs> I can't believe I'm doing this. I really did. I was like, oh gosh, what am I going to do? And then the upshot of that was that I did unexpectedly well. I almost win actually that first election in 1992. So I'm elected in 1990 to my community college board seat. And then in a year's time, um, I'm a candidate for the primary, the democratic primary for uh, the congressional seat. And as it turns out, Jason, um, people in my area of the state, which was a fast-growing part of the, of, of the country, Riverside was 
Riverside County was growing by leaps and bounds. Mm-hmm. And this created a lot of opportunity for some, a lot of resentment on the basis of others who experienced the traffic uh, and the ills of, of rapid growth. The person I was running against for the congressional seat in 1992 was somebody who was involved in a real estate development uh, industry. And, you know, it just so happened that when we asked people, who do you trust more to be your representative of Congress, a real estate developer or a teacher? It was off the charts. Like 75, 80% of the people said, we'd rather send a teacher to Congress than a real estate developer. We don't trust the developer to have our best interests in mind. And I think you can kind of, I think maybe your listeners and everybody can kind of think why that is. So oddly enough, what I didn't totally understand when I was starting out um, as a teacher, when I, when I kind of had that moment after college, what I didn't expect was that teacher would be something that voters really liked. Yeah. I mean, in fact, it became your tagline, right? Teacher for Congress, almost your brand. Yeah, put, it, it was the, it was my brand, and we we I ran on that in nineteen ninety two. Education's number one advocate, absolutely. And so, talk to me a little bit about becoming the first openly LGBTQ plus person of color in Congress. I got elected in twenty twelve. The first year that I'm elected, I'm signing on to an amicus brief to support same sex marriage. By June of 2013, I'm sitting with an MSNBC reporter discussing my reactions to the Windsor case, Mm -hmm. the decision being handed down in June. And then a day later, I'm flying to San Francisco to go march in the Pride Parade with Nancy Pelosi, right? I mean, it was a most amazing time, my first year in Congress. Let me ask you a a fun question. Okay. I know that you love to cook because I see your recipes and cooking in social media all of the time. If Mark Takano was a fabulous recipe or dish, what 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 dish would you be? <laughs> I used to hate it when Barbara Walters would ask her guests, <laughs> if you could be a tree, what kind of tree would you be? Like, well, if you're comparing me to Barbara Walters, I'm happy. <laughs> I can't sing because it's not true, but what's coming to my head is Chawan Mushi. Why is that coming to your head? It is a very amazing savory custard that you make with eggs and dashi. You know, dashi is this uh, broth that you make from bonito, yeah. uh, shaved bonito. It's a smoky sort of fish broth, but it's a very, in some ways, simple dish, but it's a very... I don't think this is true because I'm not, I don't think of myself as that simple. And, but I think of it as a very elegant, it's a very elegant, simple dish, which is unusual. I remember my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, who lived out in the desert back in the day, back, back when I was a child, you know, going through all the trouble to make this dish. And I remember eating it and I, and I just sort of like shrugged my shoulders like, oh, whatever. And I shrugged my shoulders. <laughs> But now I look back on it, I'm thinking that I was, I was such an ungrateful child. So, I, so Chawanmushi to me kind of has this history of like, I first underappreciated it, but now as an adult, I appreciate it a lot. And I, I suppose that's, that's my maturation process of like, 
appreciating things that I didn't appreciate formally. And that, and that is actually part of my heritage too, my Japanese yeah. heritage. So things that I just sort of was indifferent to or shrugged as a child, I, as I grow up and I, I think about the more, there's more to it than what I knew as a child, that I'm more appreciative of it. Congressman Takano, as a final question, what is the best career advice that you would like to pass on to our listeners today? You've got to follow your curiosity. What piques your imagination? It wasn't, I, I love the work I do right now. I'm amazed that I get paid for what I do. And I think that is the, the definition of really great work is that you're so grateful that you get to do what you do. You wake up every day and go, gosh, I can't believe I get to do what I do. And I think to get to that place, you, you have to build it. I mean, I don't think this kind of work just gets handed to you. You've, you've got to, I wouldn't say fight for it, but you got to strategize and you got to ask yourself, what are all the elements you got to put into place? The other bit of advice that I have is, you know, carefully acknowledge and assess, uh, uh, assess the, the cards that have been dealt to you in life. Stop fretting if you're not Bill Gates. That's a distraction to, to be upset about what you don't have. I think you've got to assess the cards that you do have and that you have to understand that thinking and imagination um, are the wild card that can leverage every other card in the hand that you're playing. You've got to be real honest and straight with yourself about what cards you have. And just always remember, you have one wild card, and that wild card is your own thinking, ingenuity, and imagination. Well, Congressman Mark Takano, it was amazing talking to you, and thank you for everything you're doing in Washington, D.C. Thank you, Jason, for this opportunity. It was wonderful. And we'll be back in just a few moments with my final thoughts. Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how. Well, I don't know about you, but what an honor to have Congressman Mark Takano on the show. You know, Mark shared so many amazing things about his life and about his brand, but what really stood out for me was this whole notion of there are many ways to get to your career path. You know, Congressman Takano very early on knew that he wanted to be in Congress. He wanted to be a publicly elected official, but he thought that his path was going Going to be by being a lawyer. Sometimes what we realize is there's multiple paths to get to where we want to go, and it's really the journey that gets us there, because I'm not sure if we would be talking to Mark Takano as a congressman had he not gone and been a school teacher, because it was such a defining element of his brand. Well, what a treat to have the congressman on for AAPI Heritage Month. If you are enjoying this month's programming, make sure that you visit Lead With Your 
hearbrand.com backslash AAPI to hear all of the amazing API voices that we've showcased on the podcast. And make sure that you subscribe and follow the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you are delivered a new episode every single week. Follow me on social media. I'm at Jason Patria on all platforms. And check me out on LinkedIn, where I share tons of tips and tricks on how to lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. And just remember, in your career, don't be a boring old commodity like coffee. Make sure you are a super premium brand just like Starbucks. You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.